Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. All right, if you've got your Bibles, find the little book of Colossians in the New Testament. We're starting a series today called Simple, and it is uh, it's four books will be in there, four we- or four chapters will be in this teaching for four weeks, and Colossians is one of the most practical pieces of biblical liter- literature that the Apostle Paul wrote. He wrote it to a little church called Colossae, and uh, yet he was overwhelmingly practical in his teaching. And so in chapter one, where we're at today, you, you could look at this and in the first 16, 17 verses, he kind of unpacks this whole picture of creation, the fall, the need for God in this big word called reconciliation. And so the goal here in chapter one for us today is grasp and understand and live out this picture of God's plan for reconciliation. Now, if we were to look up uh, in, in, our, in our smartphone, and those of you that have like a dictionary.com kind of thing, what you'd do is you'd, you'd open this thing up, you'd go to a dictionary, and here's what you would find as a definition for reconciliation. An act of reconciling is when former enemies agree to an amicable truth or the process of making consistent or compatible. And then Paul gives us a better perspective on what it is to have this sense of reconciliation, and he does so in Scripture. And he kind of paints this picture so that we can get it. Reconciliation looks like this. We are a messed up people. We we make bad choices. We sin. We're not perfect. We're in agreement with that, right? All of us are not perfect. Everybody's messed up somewhere. The Bible says for all of us who sinned, all of us missed God's mark. We missed perfection, right? So we mess up. The second part of that, but God still loves us. Then it goes on and it says he makes a way for us to get right and do right through a relationship with Jesus. Simple, right? But it's not so simple when we layer stuff on top of it. So here's what we look at with reconciliation. So here we are, messed up people with flawed lives and flawed ideas, and, and, and we just we make horrible decisions at times. Some of them are open and we know about it. Some of them are internal and nobody ever knows about it, but they're, they're no less sin. And so in our nature, from the day Adam and Eve messed up, all of us born with that nature to do wrong, right? So when anytime we do wrong, we've sinned against God. God is perfect. And so God says, wait a minute, my holiness, my perfection, your sinfulness, your imperfection, we're in two different universes, but I love you. So I need a way to reconcile that problem. And his idea of reconcile that, reconciling that problem, Paul unloads for us in this first chapter. So here's what I'd like for you to do. Take a look at uh, verse 16. Let's start there. Because you, you might think that God is only concerned with thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities, but, but he's not. In verse 16, he says, for by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Now, you say, well, Chuck, that, that can't apply to me. Surely he's talking about dominions and powers. I, like, I'm, I'm just Vern Bubba and Thumper in Sugar Hill, Georgia, man. This is not, he's not talking about me. But indeed, he is specifically talking to us. As a matter of fact, if you take a look at verse 21, you're going to see that God, as Paul writes it, is absolutely passionately and compassionately wanting to be in relationship with you and with me. He wants this relationship. If you take a look at this, you'll see how simple 
God really makes it. So you look in verse 21 and we grasp this one big thought. We were far from God. Some of us are far from God. We're, we're, God is a, a far and a distant being that we don't really connect with. We don't get it. We don't understand it. As a matter of fact, why does he let bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? I mean, why do we have typhoons? Why do we have hurricanes? Why? So God's some distant being, and I, I don't have any relationship with him. But oftentimes, we've got people who are, that recognize at one time I was far from God, but I feel like I'm kind of in the family now. And listen to what Paul says in verse 21. And you, now this is where you've got to ask yourself, who's you? Okay, you ready? You are you. And you, sitting at Sugar Hill Church on this 1st of March, and you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Now watch this. So what Paul is saying is exactly what we talked about out of the dictionary, which is in our own way, with a heart that is capable of all manner of evil and wickedness. The Bible even teaches we don't know how messed up our lives are. And God in his perfection sent Jesus in such a way that he could take on all of our guilt and we could be reconciled. Now that doesn't make much sense yet, but if you keep going, and and let me give you another writing that Paul had to the people in the church in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter eight, verse seven, here's what Paul wrote also. He said, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. In other words, what Paul is saying is we have two options in the way we choose to live our life. One is I'm going to do this on my own. I've got it. And I'm going to trust what the world offers is to be gospel for my life. And I'm taking that road because I like to control my life and I'm a control freak and I want things my way. The other, the other side says, I'm going to trust God, not just for heaven, but my everyday life because I need reconciliation. I need to be in the works. You see, to to not have reconciled this problem means that we kind of set ourselves out of the playing field and on the bleachers. We're kind of out of the game. If you ever played athletics and you were the person that sat on the bench, you're thinking, man, I want to get in the game, but you're not, you're there. And see, in God's eyes, when we're not reconciled, we took ourselves out of the game and put ourselves at the bleacher. I remember back in 1982, I had my first season ticket package for the University of Georgia for football games. And I was so excited, but when I got my tickets, I literally was the highest row in Sanford Stadium. And when you, this is about the view I had. I mean, really, without binoculars, I just knew it was green down there, right? I knew to bark, I knew to shout. I mean, I did it all, right? But by the time the tech game came that year, I was there. Now, I wasn't, I, I didn't paint my belly, all right, I'm just saying. But I was right down near the field because a friend gave me his tickets. And now, you know, the difference was where I once was, was it was easy from that view to think I knew everything. But when I got down here, wait a minute, I saw things more clearly. Are you with me? And this is kind of what it is to have this reconciliation in that we go from being on the outside to being on the inside of the family. Have you ever looked at a family and you thought, man, they got it together. And then when you had dinner with them in the house, you thought, dude, they're as messed up as we are. You ever done that? I know, that's what everybody thinks when they come to my house. It's like, well, we can't, we're going to the pastor's house, man. I know they got it together. No, man, it's a disaster there too, right? Because we're just messed up people. We need reconciliation, all right? So first, we were far from God, right? But then we're brought near God. In reconciliation, God loves us. So he sends Jesus. And, and, in, and in Jesus, we sing that last song here. I believe in God the Father who spoke the world into creation. 
He spoke the universe and galaxies into creation. He formed man, looked at that and says, not good for him to be alone. We created woman, you know, and then away from there, everything went downhill, right? And so he looks at us and says, I, I need to reconcile this. So he sends his son, Jesus. Now in the Old Testament, you remember that what they did for reconciliation is they would bring the, the cleanest lamb and they would slaughter it and the blood of that lamb would be for their forgiveness because the Bible says there's no forgiveness without shedding of blood, right? So Jesus comes along and the Bible calls him God's perfect spotless lamb of God. And when he gives his life for you and sheds his blood for you, when he's buried in an empty tomb and raises from it three days later, when he goes and walks through the door, which I think is still unbelievably cool, and he says to his boys, hey, I bring you peace. You know what he says right after that? Let's eat. I mean, listen, this is God in the form of Jesus who came to reconcile us. Okay, if, if, if you still haven't connected with me, I want you to picture this, all right? Uh, I'm not going to ask how many have been arrested, but um, that, plenty of us, I'm sure, right? Okay, so I was arrested at one time in my life when I was a kid for doing stupid. I, I majored in stupid, and, um, and I remember when I was in the DeKalb County Jail, I called my dad, and I said, Dad, I'm in jail. My dad responded by saying, I'll see you sometime tomorrow afternoon. What? And by the time dad came and got my sorry behind out of jail, you know what I realized? I don't ever want to do that again, right? So let's imagine that you're guilty as sin and guilty in sin and you stand before a judge and he's up on the bench and he's wrapped the gavel and says, guilty. And you sit there and you're, I know it. You know, and you're just feeling like crud, man. They're, they're sending me the gas chamber. This is not cool. And about that time, the judge's son walks in the back of the courtroom, opens the gate to the gallery, walks up to you, put his arms around you, and says to his dad, the judge, I love this guy. I'll go to the gas chamber for him. And you know what you're thinking? Yes. So you watch him go off, you see the father cry, you see the son going to give his life for you, and now you're thinking, what in the world? So the son is gone and the dad walks off of the bench, walks down, put his arms around you, and says, my son has gone to die for you, but watch this, in three days, he's gonna come back and eat at my table, and when he does, I want to adopt you into my family, and we're all gonna sit at the same table together and eat the good stuff, and life will be good because we have reconciled all of our problems. And you, you say, I want in on that. I want that. And what Paul is saying in this teaching is, this is what God does. He provides for us reconciliation that we can be right with God. You ever been in a time, tell you what, how many of you are married? Been married? Okay, good. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Don't put them down here, all right? Now watch this. How many of you this week have been in an argument of some type with your spouse? Keep them up. Look at, y'all are messed up. I just happen to be with you, right? Now watch this. When me and Jenny aren't right, nothing's right. Isn't that true? When you and your spouse are at it, man, it's just, you, it, it, nothing's good till you fix it. How much more so is that true with your creator? I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I've got to be right there before I have any hope of being right with you. I have no hope of being right with Jenny if I'm not right with him. And he says, the path to reconciliation, the path to getting it right is I send my son Jesus for you. Now, let's look in verse 22 and it says, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. In other words, Christ comes, gives his life and pays the price that we deserve. But through that says, wait a minute, this is all good. I've, I, I kind of wiped the slate clean. I made it all good. You see, that's why we call it simple. It cost God his son, but it costs you nothing because he never, ever said, you go clean your act up and then we can be reconciled. I mean, God actually said, come to me just the way you are. Bring your porn addiction, bring your alcoholism, bring, bring your cheating on your wife or your husband with you, bring your, bring your nasty relationships, bring all your addictions, bring all your messed up thoughts, bring all that and then I'm gonna reconcile all that and I'm gonna wipe the slate clean because I love you and I'm gonna do that through Jesus Christ, my son. So reconciliation happens and it says, and we find ourselves blameless, even though we're guilty, blameless before him. That's a great deal, isn't it? I mean, seriously, Paul lays out for us this picture that reconciliation is what happens when we trust God the Father because he gave us Christ the Son who leaves us the Holy Spirit of God. So don't miss that progression. When you sang that song, you were singing a declaration. You were singing really this creed. You were singing this holy picture of the Trinity, God three in one. God the Father loves us. God, our creator. You were singing Jesus Christ, the Son, our Savior. You were singing the Holy Spirit of God, our sustainer. You were saying God, three in one, one God, three parts, all three, all for you. And you look at that and say, man, how could I not want that reconciliation that cost him everything and cost me nothing? Because I didn't have to give up anything to come into him. Remember, we talked a few weeks ago that when I come to Christ, I literally am stepping into a life of Christ. I'm grabbing hold of his life. I'm grabbing hold of the vine, the family, and I'm holding that. And when I feel like I've got nowhere to go, there he is holding me. And that's reconciliation. That's the picture of what God does in our life. But it gets even better. I mean, when I, when I look at verse 23, we see this picture that, well, we were far from God. We were brought near to God. But then what do we do? We, we remain faithful to God. We remain faithful. Look at, look at verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, isn't that funny how he poses this kind of a question? If indeed you stay in the, because I mean, think of our lives. How many of you probably accepted Christ, became a Christ follower a long time ago, years ago, and, and you'd say, you know, I'm not sure I've stayed in the faith. I, mean, I go to church, I sing some, I mean, I, I throw a tip or two in, in the basket when it comes by, but he's talking about abiding in, clinging to, holding on to, living this Christ life. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, meaning, listen, I, I got a firm foundation. It's not going to be shaken. When difficulties come, I know who's my rock. I know who's my shelter. I know God's got me. I know I'm his kid. I know I'm going to sit at the table with him. He's got me. He's my shade. He's my shield. He's, he's got me. All right. But then he goes on and says, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Now, this is a big deal, all right, because those three words, hope, or the four words, hope of the gospel is a big, big deal. The hope of the gospel is more than you praying a sinner's prayer, walking an aisle, or being baptized. The hope of the gospel is the singular fact that this is so simple, 
right? And the hope of the gospel is this picture of reconciliation. God, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. He loved me. He made a way through Christ to reconcile our relationship. And he left the Holy Spirit to live inside my life when I accept him as Christ and Lord so that I can remain steadfast, grounded in this foundation. And when you look at the hope of the gospel, nothing good comes from our life apart from the hope of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Period. But see, what we do often is we layer it with more stuff. I mean, we, we treat the hope of the gospel like a yellow sock that's thrown first into the hamper, the laundry hamper, and then we keep throwing dirty stuff on top of it, and before long, we forgot the yellow sock. We forgot that it was there because we layered it with so many other things. Because we believe the hope of the gospel sounds like this. Well, if, if you're living the hope of the gospel, then you, you, you must give X or you must dress this way or you must not have tattoos or you must not drink or you must not smoke or you must not dip or you must not date girls who do or, you know, whatever, right? And we, we, we layer it with so much junk. Before long, we forget the hope of the gospel isn't all the stuff we put on top of it. It is faith in Christ alone that in him is the hope of glory, period. Jesus is enough. Why do we say here at a church, we believe the Bible's a big deal. It's God's roadmap. Why do we believe Jesus is the biggest deal? He's the hope of glory. Literally the hope of glory. Nothing good happens apart from that. That's why he's the biggest deal. And so you look at this and say, man, that is great. Does Paul write anything else to support this? Well, if you went back a book to Philippians, he writes this to these people. In, in chapter 2, in the book of Philippians, chapter 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. In other words, persevere in faith, and faith ought to be something that you see. In other words, if your hope is not in the hope of glory, the path you leave behind you might be a wake of dead bodies. But if you are a Christ follower and you're living the hope of glory, you ought to see evidence that you are that person. But listen to me, not man-made evidence, not, 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 not church evidence, not, not denominational evidence, not historical evidence. You ought to see a trail of Jesus where you've walked. Not how you would act, but how he would act. Gracious, forgiving, giving, loving, helping, serving. Are you with me? We ought to see that trail. So we look, man, this, this ought to happen. But you know, the Christian life is sometimes difficult. And, and, and sometimes we fall away from the, from the forgetful, in our forgetful stage of, man, I need to cling to the vine. I want to sit at the big boy table with God. He's done all this for me. But you know, every now and then, don't you mess up? I mean, aren't you like me? And every now and then you take a detour you shouldn't have taken? Every now and then you take one that's really severe and it hurts for God to bring you back. Been there? Yeah. And so he say, man, hang on. It's the simple gospel that, that, that he pulls out. Paul says, man, this is simple. Don't mess it up. Don't layer it with all the other stuff. Find the yellow sock. Stick with this. If you go earlier in the, in the chapter, in verse 11, he, he, here's what he says. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. Okay, listen, I will guarantee you somewhere this week you needed strength and you needed patience. Am I right? Somewhere this week you needed something to hold on to 
in this week you needed something that was bigger than whatever broke your heart or whatever little thing you argued about or whatever got you off track. You need strength and patience. You know what Paul's saying? This is the hope of glory, strength, patience, being able to persevere when things are difficult, know what I'm grounded in. But he goes on and he says, why am I going to do that? He says, so that you may be filled with joy. I mean, what did Jesus offer the disciples when he walked through that door? The first thing he offered them was peace. You know what I've discovered? We never make good decisions until we have peace in our life. We never do. We always make it worse than what it is. When we feel bad, you don't make a good decision. When you're in the middle of throes of tension, you don't make good decisions. You say things you regret. You kind of wish that all that hadn't happened. You look at this, and Paul says, listen, he's going to give you joy if you just persevere, stay the course. Verse 12 says, always thanking the Father, he has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. Listen, Paul's saying, man, God's got something so rich, so good for you. Don't mess up. This is good. How could we not be part of this simple plan? when it costs us nothing, costs him everything, how could we not say, not only do I believe in God the Father, not only do I believe in Christ the Son, not only do I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one, I believe all that in my life. Nelson Mandela, a hero to South Africa, and in many ways to the world, stayed in prison for 27 years. Now think about that. Because he stood for something that was right. He, he was in prison for 27 years, more than 10,000 days in prison. The day he walked out of prison, this was his quote. You ready? He said, as I finally walked through those gates, I felt even at the age of 71 that my life was beginning anew. You know what reconciliation is? It's God's way to take a big eraser and eliminate your past and give you a brand new day to make all things new, to repair all relationships. Because when you get reconciliation through Jesus right, you'll get the rest of life right. He goes on, he says, man, this is, this is too good. I, how can I be a part of that? Well, there's three kind of people in this room. There are people who somewhere along, the life, along your life, you said, man, I, I want that. I, I want to be reconciled with God. I want to accept Jesus, and I, I want to thank him for dying for me and raising for me. Man, I want to make a U-turn in my life. I want to repent. I want to, le I want to lean into Jesus, and I, I want to get that right. Man, that's the, you're there. There are people in here today who said, man, I need that. I, I need to start today. For the first time in my life, I need to nail this down. I, I, need, to, I need to really say, Jesus, I... I love you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for raising from the dead for me. Thank you for taking my punishment that I deserve. I want to turn around my life. I want to live for you and not for me. And man, today needs today. You need to accept God's gift of reconciliation. But there's a third kind of person in this room. And that's, that's somebody who years ago, vacation Bible school, Sunday, Sunday school, somewhere along the line, your mom and dad, somebody, you gave your life to Christ. And you know what? You've been off of, you've been away from the big boy table for so long, man, you think there's no way I can come back. But I promise you, God says, come on back. You can sit at the table with me. So you got a couple of decisions today. One decision is, man, I want to give my life to Christ. I, I, want, I want that gift of reconciliation. I want to get right vertically so I can get right horizontally. For some of you, you'd say, man, I, I did that years ago, but I sure am not living like it. I, 
I want to I, I make this right. I want to start today. God, take an eraser to my past. I want to move forward. And some of you, man, you've you just been so cold because you've allowed life to swallow you up and busyness to swallow you up. And people would look at you and say, man, I, I had no idea that you were a follower of Christ. And you need to start anew. So which of those three are you? Maybe if we were to pray and ask God to reveal it to your heart, he would. Would you join me as we pray? With heads bowed and with eyes closed, listen, friend, that I have no idea which camp you're in of those three. I do know there, there are a lot of people sitting here today that would say, Chuck, I, I need to settle this. I need to put it behind me, and I need this resolution that would bring me this wonderful gift of reconciliation. I need to be right with God. And today, if that's you, I don't have a magic bullet. I don't have a magic pill. I don't even have a magic prayer. But I do have what the Bible says. If you'll call on the name of the Lord, he will hear you and answer you. I mean, it sounds something like this. God, forgive me for just the mess I've made. Come live in my life. And I accept you dying for me and raising for me. And I want to turn my life around and live for you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, man, if that's the desire of your life, you slip your hand up so I can pray for you. Yeah, amen, 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 man, all over this room. Yeah, let that be your prayer today. For those of you that say, Chuck, man, I haven't always lived like it, and I'm certainly not living like it now, but I want to. Would you pray for me that I'd, I mean, I'd have the courage that starting this day, not tomorrow, but this day, I want, I, want, I want to start living in the hope of glory. I want him to erase my past. I know he's my savior, but I, mean, I want to live like it. Can I see your hands? Yeah, yeah. Father, you've heard the, the hearts of your people. And God, I pray that you would uh, you'd pour down on this place and let us be soaked to the bone with your goodness and your grace and your mercy, your forgiveness, your wholeness, and your reconciliation. And God, I pray we take this book that was written to a church years and years ago and realize it really was written to us, that we might recognize how we're reconciled with God. God, thank you for loving us, for creating a way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.